reason that I really wanted to make this movie is that I saw God's heart for the orphans. This catch was a miraculous catch to save these orphans. Certainly hope the audiences walk away with that and, and see God's hand in this miracle story. listening to the Act One Podcast. I'm your host, James Duke. Please remember to subscribe and leave a good review and share our little podcast with your friends and maybe your family, particularly that one uncle. That would be great. Our guest today is producer Darren Mormon. Darren is a veteran film producer and the head of Reserve Entertainment. He has worked with studios that include MGM, Lionsgate, and Paramount Pictures, where he made Same Kind of Different as Me, a film based off the best-selling book with the same name. The film starred Renee Zellweger, Greg Kinnear, Diamond Hanju, and John Voight. And that was followed by the theatrical releases of the films Indivisible and Run the Race. Darren also created and produced the television program Mark Hamill's Pop Culture Quest with Lionsgate. His latest film, Blue Miracle, starring Dennis Quaid, premiered on Netflix May 27th and tells the true story of some orphan kids in Mexico who partner with a washed-up boat captain for a chance to win a lucrative fishing competition to save their orphanage. Darren and I speak extensively about the making of Blue Miracle, and even a little bit on his own personal manifesto, all of which I think you will really enjoy. Darren, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Ah, what a what a treat! Thank you for inviting me. Uh, for sure, excited to come and chat with you and uh, talk about the movies. We have a lot of mutual friends who um, have always sung your praises, and they're always like, "Have you talked to Darren Mormon? Have you talked to Darren?" I'm like, "No, I haven't talked to Darren Mormon." Um, and then I interacted with you a little bit at that thing that Hani uh, did last year, and um, was really impressed, and 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 just have kind of followed your career, obviously from afar, and. And I really wanted to take some time to talk to you about this brand new film, which is um, my kids and I watched it and we really liked it. And I want as many people as possible to uh, to see this new film of yours called Blue Miracle, which is on Netflix playing right now. And, um, and so I'd love to just start right there, Darren. Just tell us a little bit about this film. For those of you who are listening to this podcast, you can watch it on Netflix. It was like when I, it was like number two, it was like top 10, you know, it was like the number two when I saw it. Like, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about the, how the film's doing before we get into the behind the scenes of it. How's the film doing so far? Uh, well, thanks for, for the kind comments about the film. Uh, any, anytime you as a filmmaker, you know, pour your heart into telling a story, you, you hope the audience responds. Sometimes it doesn't always work that way. Uh, but Blue Miracle has has really found a global audience, and uh, from what we can tell, we don't we don't have the actual numbers yet. But we'll find those out on Monday. Uh, is that it's performing incredibly well? Uh, Netflix is super happy, and the response we're getting uh, is is amazing. Um, in fact, the the number of likes on 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 Netflix is ninety eight percent thumbs up. Uh, which is pretty amazing. Uh, you know, <laughs> wow! <laughs> uh, and that's not that's not a small number. I think it's you know two hundred and twenty thousand or two hundred fifty thousand people uh, have given it a thumbs up. So people are you know really are responding to the film. So 
exciting to uh, to be in this world to launch a movie to to 240 million homes across the country. So uh, it, it's super exciting. Or, excuse me, across the world. Yeah, across the world, which is just a mind blowing concept when you think about it. Yeah, the fact that Netflix is in you know in front of almost a billion people, uh, you know, and everyone everyone will at one point or another have a chance to watch Blue Miracle is is incredible. So you've opened, so you you know you've had films uh, play theatrically, and so explain to people a little bit the like the financial advantage of opening a film worldwide on a streamer versus having to pay for prints for PA for opening things theatrically worldwide i mean that is we're talking millions and millions of dollar difference right yeah uh, for sure you do not have to put up you know on a film like this you'd have to put up 10 or 15 million dollars of of PA on top of the production cost and so you uh, you you take the risk away from the investors because uh, the investors are super happy. They get their money back, you know, plus a plus a little little chunk of change, and uh, and then you just get a chance to bring it to the world. And you're not asking your audience to go spend fifteen bucks. You're asking your audience to to enjoy an experience uh, of something they've already paid for. So uh, it's it's unique. It also you also miss some of the the magic of being in theaters as well, but uh, but it, but it you know I'll, I'm sure I'll release movies in theaters again, and I'm sure I'll partner with Netflix again. Yeah, well, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about the kind of what got you onto this project. What was the original? Because um, well, first of all, just my own thoughts on the film is it's a for those of you who are interested, it's a it's a family film, but what I like about it is it's a, because I really did really enjoyed it. Uh, it's a beautiful film. First of all, shot the heck out of it. Um, great, great place to shoot you know, all that beautiful blue ocean. But um, uh, it, I think I was mentioning to you before we started recording, it, it does feel like a film that kind of harkens back to the old family films of say the seventies and eighties when the studios were still making family films, like even when Disney was making kind of smaller, low budget, mid range, kind of what we call low budget, mid range kind of films that they, that, that they just don't make anymore. And so a lot of this has kind of fallen to uh, more independent producers and smaller uh, production co companies and stuff. And, and also for, for people who are in the faith-based um, um, category too. And so this film really kind of stands out to me as, uh, a film that um, your whole family can watch, but it doesn't have that. Um, it's not overly sweet. It's not uh, overly preachy. It, it um, there's a lot of warmth to it. I, I might, I might have gotten emotional at some point. I will neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> father, father, son stories do get to me. I must admit, but, um, but so anyway, I just wanted to sing your praises on that and, and, and to the filmmakers. It's a it, it is definitely a film that uh, if people when people hear this, they should t spend some time watching it with their kids because it's a uh, it's I guess is it PG thirteen, but it's kind of like a soft PG thirteen. What, what would you say? Yeah, it's 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 like a PG PG thirteen. Yeah, it feels more PG than PG thirteen. I mean, you deal with here's the thing, you deal with subject matter that maybe you don't typically see in a family fair. However, I think that's part of what elevates it. If I'm, you know, just 
being honest with you. I think I think the, the subject matter you guys deal with in a really nice way. Yeah, well, th- thanks so much for saying that. Uh, you know, the, the story uh, about how we made the film is that, uh, so I, I produced a movie called Same Kind of Different as Me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I did that with uh, Mary Parent, who now runs Legendary. So she's a, uh, she was at Paramount Pictures at the time. And she kept saying to me, hey, you're going to love my husband. And so when we got back to L.A., uh, Javier Chapa and I, uh, her, you know, her husband, we played golf and sure enough, we hit it off. We started, we started just hanging out and, uh, just, just a great guy. And he's like, Hey, I'm really focused on the Latino audience. And, and we just started talking about, well, let's go after a project together, you know, and as I've coined it, a Latino feel with us appeal, uh, that has just a subtle God thread through it, you know, something for the faith audience. Uh, and so we, we happened upon this, uh, you know, this news article, this crazy news article about these orphans who, who win this amazing tournament, uh, down in Mexico to save their orphanage. And so, uh, he and I partnered up and got the life right and started, started on the journey to, to, to making this, this incredible film. And so, is it is it a when you found the article did someone bring it to you or was it um how did you actually find the article i know javier and i literally set out to go find these kind of stories wow. and and so we just started looking at books and articles and and so it's just a, really a neat um so um, you tell you tell the film through the eyes of i'm forgetting the character the main character's name omar Omar. So you tell the, you know, the story is told primarily through the eyes of Omar. Um, was it when you, when you guys read the article and you knew you had something there, um, what was, what was the next, what was your due diligence from that point? We've got a lot of producers and wannabe producers listening to this podcast. What was your due diligence with that? Did you, did you fly down there and meet with Omar? Did you, was there a book? I'm just curious how that went. Yeah. So uh, Omar is, um, fluent in Spanish and, um, and doesn't speak English very well. And, uh, and I'm fluent in English and don't speak Spanish very well. So <laughs> fortunately, Javier, uh, my partner on this is fluent in both English and Spanish. And so, um, so we, we started talking with Omar and, you know, you, you realize that in an orphanage setting, it's super complicated to figure out uh, kids' rights and those kind of things because they don't really have um, parents that can sign on their behalf, and so, so we we really had to focus on Omar's journey, uh, and that was why we why we did that. Um, and then, you know, so we had this Latino feel, U.S. appeal, and so uh, we needed uh, an American boat captain, a salty boat captain, and uh, and so that's where Dennis Quaid comes in. Uh, you know, one of one of my favorite lines uh, in the script is when, you know, Dennis says, I, I hate orphans. Um, and and that sort of sets up his character. And so you have this this salty boat captain who who needs to win a tournament. And his only way to do that is to is to actually partner up with these orphans uh, to participate in the in the world's biggest fishing tournament. Uh, we didn't dig into too many of the details. But it's actually seventy-five thousand dollars to enter the tournament, wow. and, and so 
it's impossible for a group of orphans to ever compete in a tournament like this. And that's what makes it so miraculous. Uh, And we didn't focus on the best fishermen in the world, but that's who they were competing against. Uh People from all over the world come on their yachts and uh, drop down big money. uh, And we didn't focus on that part of it. We really wanted to stay in the, the human element of it. And, and so that was our, uh, you know, it, it, it was an incredible project and to film in the Dominican Republic was beautiful. Uh, to film on water was amazing. And it's one of the hardest things <laughs> ever uh, as well. And so yes. I want to, I would definitely, that's definitely on my list to ask you about that. Yeah, I, well, ha- happy to talk about that for sure. And we, and one of the neat things when you see the film is that, you see all of these amazing yachts going out into the tournament. Well, we Mm -hmm. shot the live tournament in Cabo. So, uh, so we were, you know, we were able to partner up with Bisbee's black and blue uh, tournament and actually shoot the live tournament, which was incredible. Yeah, that was clearly, that was production value. You can't afford that, that in, in, in most cases, even in a hundred million dollar film with all these yachts and all that stuff. So shooting on location, the, um, yeah, it's a beautiful film. It's beautifully shot. Um, the director, um, uh, he this is his second feature, is that right? That's correct. Uh, Julio Quintana, fantastic director. His second film, his first film was a was a pure indie, um, literally a pure indie. Uh, and one of the things that he loved is loves to talk about is the fact that. Um, yeah, I think his grandmother got up and walked out, walked out of the movie and said, <laughs> said this is so boring. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it was just a pure indie film. And so, uh, you know, the, the great thing about Julio is he wasn't a safe choice for a family film. And I think that's what makes this stand out a little bit. It didn't go to, to any of the safe places. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and Julio is now grateful that, that millions of people are watching his film and actually enjoying it. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, I've, I've seen his first film and uh, yes, it's, it's, um it's very, uh, let's say meditative. It's very meditative. Uh, <laughs> um, the, the, uh, but yeah. So on that though, I agree with you. There is something about his, um, his instinct. I noticed, um, you know, he really likes, he really liked a lot of, and and I remember from his first film, he likes a lot of those tight. He likes the camera up close and personal on the actors. Uh, he likes the camera to kind of be in the moment with the actors, which was kind of fun and interesting, very different. We're not really set apart from everyone. He really kind of gets you into it with them. And 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 I think the performances were a lot of, were really good. I mean, you're you you have kids and water, right? Like, oh boy, kids and water. And and um, but honestly, I thought you're, of course, Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid is wonderful as the as like you said, as the salty old captain. Um, the actor who plays Omar is really, really well, really well, really great performance by him. Um, but I was also pleasantly surprised by these kid actors. They were you had some wonderful performances uh, in that as well. And so, I, I, you know, I I tend to give the director a lot of credit for 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 performances. But uh, so clearly he I, he likes he likes working, um, you know, up close and personal. It seems like with these actors. Yeah, no, we, we were fortunate to get a great cast, uh, no doubt. And you know, some of the kids are actually, 
you know, they're, they're already stars, you know, you know, on shows and different things like that. So, uh, Oh yeah. Don't worry. My kids were pointing out to me who was what. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you know, it's, 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 it's pretty, pretty amazing, you know, because they're, they're stars, but yet they're not big enough stars where you can't afford them. So, uh, but they're stars on Disney shows, et cetera. Right, right, right. probably helping uh, lead some of the success of, of the film because y- your kids recognize these, these actors, um, which is great. And, and Dennis Quaid is Dennis Quaid, but he was phenomenal uh, to work with. Uh, he, he just brought it to life. He helped, uh, he helped the kids a ton mm. uh, while he was working with them. And, and uh, it was really, he became a great coach for them. Uh, so that, do, that was neat. Do any of the actors have deep sea fishing experience, or were they all novices? Oh no, they they were they were all novices, <laughs> sure. uh, which was perfect. We need we needed that. We needed people who had never been on a boat before, yeah. uh, and we pretty much got that. So, uh, so when you when you were first developing the the screenplay um, with the uh, Chris Dowling, right? He's the yeah, so Chris Dowling wrote the the original draft of the screenplay, and I had worked with him on a film that I did called Run the Race. Yep, okay. Uh, that Tim Tebow uh, mm-hmm. co-financed, and and so Chris had written and directed that project for me. And so when you're when you're developing the, your next project and you're sort of looking at who to go to, um, you know, I knew that Chris understood the inspirational space and the sports space. Uh, and so, uh, we hired him to write it and he did a great job with the first draft uh, of the script. And then, and then we were pretty set on making sure that we had a Hispanic, you know, director. Yep. And, and so then when, when Julio attached to it, uh, he came and, and did, um, you know, doing multiple drafts just because actors would give notes and, you know, mm-hmm. those kind of things. And, and, and he actually brought the authentic Latino feel to the project. The um, so with the screenplay, as you were developing, because it's a, based on a true story. Um, <clears throat> what are some of the um, uh, maybe pitfalls that you had to um, hurdle, or th- things that when you're when you're because you because you you've you've done a a couple of projects based on a true story. So there's always, there's always some things there where maybe, uh, you know, you have to play with timeline or certain characters you, maybe you have to um, combine or something just for the sake of the, the, to serve the story better. You only have two hours. So I'm just curious in the development phase of the screenplay, was there anything significant from the original true story that, that you guys made in maybe any kind of significant changes in why? Well, you know, the I, I hate to say this for people who haven't seen the film, but you know, the Captain Wade character is a is a made up character. Okay. Um, you know, we, we we needed an American, you know, boat captain. We needed a U.S. star. You know that that's how these movies get made. Yeah. And so, um, and so we we cre- we created his storyline um, to to really texture in also the father the father son part of it and 
it, because I, I too am a sucker for father-son stories. <laughs> I mean, uh, you name it, How to Train a Dragon, October yeah. Sky. I mean, the, the list is long. I love them all. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so, so when you see the film, that that's one that, you know, that we, we had to create because we needed something that, to help Omar along his journey and to, and to keep us wanting to come back to that boat too. When you, when you went to cast that was um, when you guys were, or I should say when you were writing that and, and you were thinking about this character and you were like, okay, I, I need a, I need an act. We need, we, we want a U.S. actor. Um, was Dennis Quaid always kind of in your mind? Was, was he one of several people or? Dennis Quaid was always, always front and center. Uh, you know, so our part of our funding came from Endeavor Content, w- William Morris Endeavor, and 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 Dennis is repped by uh, by William Morris. So, so it was you know he was front and center. Uh, he wasn't available for a season, and so we did talk about other names. Okay, uh, and and we actually ended up. I'm not going to mention those names, uh, but we actually ended up talking to those other names or household names, just like Dennis. Mm-hmm. And um, and they they all love the story because you can't help but love the story. Uh, but when you're a household name and you're and you're a big star, you want you want the movie to be about you. And right. so uh, they, they they saw different ways into the story, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, which included complete rewrites. Uh, and um, you know how, how does the how does the fishing captain show up on page one? Uh, <laughs> So, uh, we, although we enjoyed those conversations and, and some of their notes helped us probably get to the script that when, when Dennis read it, um, he, he, his response was, uh, I had the same feeling when I finished this script that I had when I read the rookie and I just knew oh, I had wow. to do it. And wow. so as a, as a filmmaker that you gives you some chills, right? You just like, that's, that's what you, that's what you hope a movie star, you know, responds to and how they feel. Um, so, yeah. Well, it's, it's a really interesting, it's really fascinating to me that you guys, um, you know, created this character because when I think about the film, Omar, you know, the, the thing about true stories is, um, like I said, you only have two hours to tell this guy's story. And essentially what Omar is going through, he's, he's, I mean, he's pretty saintly, right? Like he, I mean, he, he helps orphan boys, you know? So it's like, how are we going to have this huge character arc growth for him? Because he starts out like such a, uh, you're so for him from the very beginning of the film, you are for Omar. Um, so this for, you know, Dennis Quaid's character is interesting because he kind of presents that, alternative uh for for the audience to kind of like for omar's character to bump off of um who presents an alternative to his worldview but but what's interesting about the character and i'll just say this and like get your feedback on it is you guys created a character that probably in the hands of a lesser actor would have would have not worked at all because he um he has to be both a bit persnickety and salty, and even at times downright not nice. And yet, it's because it's Dennis Quaid, you still really like this character. Yeah, he, 
there's no other way to say it, but he threaded the needle on his character choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, al- although he was at moments a jerk and those kind of things, he, he was still a lovable jerk. Yeah. And so, yes, uh, you know, when, when I look back at casting and some ideas that sort of got thrown around, uh, it was certainly in a, with a different actor, it could have gone, could have gone wrong. Yeah. Dan was was always our first choice, and we were fortunate um, that when he freed up, the, the timing all worked for us making the movie, and we had a window to to make it work with him. And so uh, that's the be- that's the beautiful thing about these guys; they're always so busy. So you, you have to actually, you know, there's a little bit of lightning in a bottle to make it all work. Yeah. How did they get on? In real life, it cost seventy five thousand dollars. How did they get? How did they get into the tournament? Then what happened? Uh, yeah, so the the story plays it fairly close to it. Uh, the the truth is is that it it was it was a bit of a PR stunt by the um, in Cabo because it because a hurricane had just hit. Mm. And they, did, they did lose people, and so they, you know, they were. You know, they they worked with Cabo and the Bisbees to sort of do this thing of hey, let's let some locals in, and, and uh, they got a free ticket to. Uh, so, so it was true that no local had ever been because no local could afford to be in the tournament. Well, no local had ever won it. Ever won it, so, yeah. So that that is correct. Wow. But, you know, very very few local Mexicans can could could afford that seventy five thousand dollars. It's a massive deal. And it is funny when you, because I actually, rem, I did take note of that. You do have one line in the film that you throw in that says, where, where they, they talk about the best fishermen in the world are, are competing. And I remember that because I remember thinking, oh, wow, yeah, this is, so this is, this is a real thing. And the people they're competing with are, are really are the best, the best, you know, that this isn't just like a silly little bunch of kids go out and make a discovery. This is, this is like a real competition. <laughs> Yeah, you know, again, you have two hours and you have a limited budget, so we didn't we didn't focus on the other people competing or those kind of things. But literally, uh, if you were to go back and look at the 2014 tournament, you know, there were people from all over the world, yachts from all over the world that competed, and uh, this group of ragtag orphan boys ended up winning this thing. Darren, I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about um, the thought process that went into um, production, because I'm assuming it started with the script, because essentially what you guys made, and this is just something I can't help but notice when I watch film, is essentially what you guys, it was very smart filmmaking from my perspective, because essentially there's two locations. You, you made a film with essentially two locations. You have other, but, but that's kind of the genius of your, uh, of the, what I feel like is the beautiful production value that you guys put into the film is it doesn't feel like that. Like it doesn't feel like a small film that's really only shot in two locations. However, strategically, I can see where your money was spent. And I think that's really impressive um, filmmaking in my, in my estimation. So I'm just, we've got a lot of people list, that listen to this podcast doing their own stuff. Just for, for you, when you're looking at a project like this, um, are you, are, are you constantly kind of in your mind thinking, okay, um, how do we tell the best story possible? 
um, while at the same time being realistic with what our with you know with what our resources are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're 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 always thinking about that, and you know, fortunately, fortunately, we had scouted and we knew a well. We knew we 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 shot the live tournament in advance, so we already knew what that was in Cabo. And so we already had that big, big boats sweeping, you know, drone shots. Uh, so we, we already knew we had that. And then we had to go to a place where there was a water tank. And, you know, in Mexico at the time was, was not really, a, you know, a doable deal for us because, you know, although we had a nice size budget, because obviously people like Dennis Quaid cost a lot of money. So we, you know, we didn't have big studio money, uh, which, which is unfortunately is what it requires to go to Mexico because you have to have tremendous amount of security and Mm -hmm. sadly kidnapping insurance. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so the Dominican Republic uh, ended up being a great place because they have a water tank, um, great rebate. You know, they just had, it had some things in it and it looked similar enough uh, to, to Cabo. Yeah. Well, and all those wonderful exteriors that you got, like you said, it just it it it, it seamlessly it all flows seamlessly together. And, and and the film is primarily shot as from people watch it, you'll see. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's staged in the orphanage, and then there's a lot of stuff that's staged on the boat. And um, you know, it's like it's re- it's really smart filmmaking because it doesn't feel like you're 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 just in these two places because you you really do. You've got a lot of production value in this film that looks beautiful it just feels so big the competition like you said you see all these other boats you know the people and yet from a filmmaking's perspective you're really you spent most of your time right in the orphanage and on the boat yeah we we shot eight days on the water tank um that had to be just you know your face <laughs> uh you 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 would think it's like the ideal location in the world uh, to work, uh, but at the same time, you're like, oh my gosh, um, it it gets old every <laughs> every twenty minutes uh, because of how it works. You can only look like this. Uh, you can only look straight out with the camera, and so you have sixteen people in the water that are turning the boat with the sun. They're rotating the boat with the sun um, because the sun is moving and you having to do that and you're getting all of your angles from one direction, but yet you're moving the boat where it looks like you're looking 360 around the ocean. Wow. Uh, So it it was, uh, and then on days, uh, here's some amazing things about shooting things you don't know about until you've done them. All right, here we go. Theories, things you don't know about shooting on water by Darren Mormon. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, day one. Now, we, we've been scouting. We've been prepping. We've been, been to the water tank so many times. Day one, we get there. And the water tank has, you know, has a, sort of a wave pool where you, where you, want, you want waves. Um, but the wind off the ocean is always causing it to ripple. It always just has a has a ripple and, and your water has to blend to the ocean. The, the infinity pool has to blend to the ocean. Well, day one, we get there and it's literally just glass. There's no wind and you walk up and everyone's looking at it going, 
how come no one said that there would be days like this? Uh, <laughs> uh, There'll be days when there's no wind. <laughs> there's no wind. And you're literally, you're, you're supposed to be on the ocean filming and it, and you're like, it's glass. That's not possible. It's a possible <laughs> scenario. Right. Oh my goodness. Uh, and so we, we, we learned. Um, and then on the days where there was a lot of wind, the 16 guys trying to rotate the boat were fighting against that wind. Oh man. And, uh, and so having the consistency of the water and, uh, it was like, it was, it was a, a learning experience for sure. Man, the, 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 uh, just the thought of just being wet for that long is just, just the thought of being wet all day for that long. is just, a, no, the, these guys are in the water 12 hours a day. I mean, you know, the, uh, Cause they're, you're, you're filming all day long. You're, you're not, you're not taking a break. So they're, they're in wetsuits. They're in the water all day long. Uh, pretty amazing thing for sure. Uh, and then we shot out on the, on the ocean three days with the boat. Um, you know, all of the, you know, all of the interactions, you know, out on the, you know, out on the ocean with other boats and those kind of things. And the, you know, the big, the big huge shots of them going out into the tournament. Um, so, and then, and then obviously the three days in, in Cabo filming the live tournament. So, so yeah, we had, a, we had a lot of water. We had a lot of water. Uh, but the, uh, if you look at, if you look at my behind the scenes um, photos, uh, you're like, why is he wearing a long sleeve shirt and the biggest brim, biggest brim hats and that kind of stuff? Because that sun was hot. Um, you, you, you forget how hot it is. Uh, all day long and I'm, all day long. Yeah. And I'm, a, and I'm a gringo. So I was, uh, I was getting cooked. <laughs> so the, the, um, I, this is always so fascinating to me to kind of some of the inside baseball stuff with this, but um, so when you, when Julio was brought on, um, well, let me take one step back. Yeah. Um, so the, when did you know the script was ready to go? Um, how many, like how many, how long did it take you to develop the script? Did you did you nail it pretty early on, or, or or were you in the development phase for for a little while? We were in the development phase all the way through. Wow, um, all, all the way through. Yeah, it just it's just just the reality of 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 this project, uh, getting the the nuances right and the subtleties, and you know. So, uh, but yeah, we. So Chris is Chris. Chris was still Chris was still writing um, as you guys were going. No, Julio was writing. Julio okay. So, so, um, so when did he come onto the project? Yeah, I would say that Julio, uh, because of our casting process, you know, and you know, and trying to trying to listen to actor notes and those kind of things, I think Julio probably would say he wrote for for uh, six months straight. I don't, I don't know that that's true, but he might have. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, I mean, he, he came out of the project, you know, you know, the, when you have a script and then, and then we were able to get some financing, then it was about, you have to get a director. So it was about who's the right director talks, talked to lots of directors. And so let's, let's unpack that just a little bit. Um, 
when you were looking, because you've hired you you have hired directors. Um, what is your process for hiring directors? What are you looking for? And I know each project is different, but um, are there some things, some insight you can give um, uh, give us in terms of what you look for uh, when you're looking to find a director? Because it's kind it's kind of an important role. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is the important role. Uh, so I'm looking for a collaborator. You know, there, there are some directors that they're just, you know, if you, if you work with them, it's their deal. Um, but I, but I, you know, I'm a storyteller as a producer. I'm a storyteller. I, I, if you spend a year developing a project, you don't want to just hand it over to a director and say, see at the premiere. You know, I'm, I'm on set, you know, I'm with them every take, you know, I, if I have notes, I'm giving them. And so you want a collaborator. Um, that's, that's the kind of producer I am. And Julio was certainly a collaborator. He, he was, um, he certainly had his own take on things, but he for sure uh, wanted notes. He listened to notes uh, all the way through the process. And and he believed he wanted to make the same movie that I wanted to make, and I think that's the key. I, I talked to lots of directors, and you know they have a completely different view of of the script that I'm trying to get them to uh, consider. And it, it's quickly a thing where it's just like, yeah, that's not not the movie I set out to make. And you know, and I've been there before. I've been I've been there with directors that sort of took a project in a direction that I didn't want to go. And um, that's frustrating. I'd rather, I, so keyword collaborator, that's who I'm looking for. It's a re- that's a really good advice. Cause I've been in the same boat as well. When you realize that um, the person you've handed the reins over to is actually wanting to make a different film the way you, than what you set out to make. And that, and it becomes very collaboration is such a beautiful thing when you find the right collaborators and you can really make something great. And, um, when, when you, um, when you first started watching, when you got a chance to watch, uh, I, you and your partner, when you guys sat down to watch, um, the first cut that he showed you guys when everything was done, um, did you know, or, or, or maybe even before, even when you're shooting, sometimes you get a sense, did you know what you had or, or, um, were, were you pleasantly surprised? Was there a lot of reshoots or recuts or? I'm just curious, once you got to that phase, what was it like uh, for you? Oh, well, because I'm such a hands-on producer and sitting, you know, in the proximity of the director, you know, I know what I have as a producer. Um, And as long as the director is feeling the same way that he's, you know, that he's, he probably tracks the performance. Uh, a director should be pract- uh, you know, tracking the performances. Uh, you know, this is where you're, the actor is here on page four, and this is where they're going to be on 48. Uh, but as long as the director and I feel the same way, I, you know, I think it's an easy process. And one thing about this is that we, we knew we had something special. We, we showed it. Uh, an early cut at a test screening in Texas. And we did two screening, uh, two theaters side by side, one sort of just a, a family audience. And then two 
the, the Latino audience. And it was rave reviews coming out of both. Wow. Now, at the time, we thought we were going theatrical. Right. Now, that test screening was like in March. It was in March, like two weeks before the world shut down. Wow. Uh, and But we knew we had something special. And so we didn't do a lot, you know. Uh, one of our one of our other producers, who's also a marketing guy, um, we we all sat around and we tallied the results, and in the, the scores, the scores were really good. Um, we just we knew we had something that was pleasing to an audience, and uh, the beauty about what the you know the the marketing guy Ben Howard said was, you know, he, he looked at Julio and said, hey, these scores are really good. But let's let's also look at all the notes because what we want to do is we want to move. Let's move the ninety twos in the in the boxes. Let's move them to ninety sixes. So let's not be settled here and let's let's go and 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 tighten it up and really pay attention to what all the you know because we probably had three hundred note cards, um, and so we just went and tightened it up and and you know then and then we had. By the way, we had 650 visual effect shots, so that were not in the movie when we tested it. Wow! So, wow! So anything you saw around the fish wasn't in the movie. Anything you saw, you know, you know. So, uh, and and the boat, because remember, every every time you locked down the boat, you had ropes coming off the boat, yeah. uh, and so everything had to be painted out, and and so it was a. Uh, uh, but even, even without that, we knew we had a special film and, uh, and then as the world remained shut down, we, we all decided to, to say, you know what, let's forego theatrical. Although we all felt like we had a, a big hit on our hands, a big box office hit. And, you know, we just like, well, let's go, let's go see if a streamer will, will, uh, will respond to this. And I had been developing a relationship with someone at Netflix for multiple years because I've had several films on the platform. I did a film years ago called Unconditional. That was a yeah. at the early stage of Netflix and was a big performer for them. And then same kind of different as me was on Netflix for, for quite a while. I know to be a good performer for them. And so I went back to them with this film and fortunately this, this woman uh, championed it and uh, we got a deal done that everybody was excited about. And, and we launched uh, last weekend. The, um, when you guys were paused like the rest of the world um, because of COVID um, <clears throat> and you were deciding okay we want to we want to pivot here and um not do theatrical and, and and do a streamer um when you're making that decision what were what aside from the obvious thing which is just getting it to the audience right so we understand that but i'm talking about from from the inside perspective um what are you measuring did you feel like you had to go to your financiers and tell them that there's been a pivot um, did you guys as a team, um, have to come up with, uh, almost like a new business strategy on this in terms of like, okay, what's the financials going to be like, I'm just curious, or maybe you already had that and you just kind of pulled that out at this point, but I'm just curious, um, 
what what's the what was kind of the obviously you don't have to give us numbers but what was yeah, the yeah. what was the real life decision making process in that like what did you, what were the steps before you eventually started going out to streamers well first of all in the in this scenario uh you know we we had we had a major you know investor in in endeavor content and and so you know they're they're a true pro in the industry and so we didn't have these conversations separate from them. Every conversation was, was with them. And, you know, and it was, it was a tough one because as a filmmaker, you dream of your blockbuster and, you know, the, the filmmakers all walked out of the test screenings going this, there's something super special here. Um, And this feels like the one that has the, you know, has the chance to, to really be a breakout. Uh, Cause we, we know that the, the Hispanic audience is over indexing at the time in theaters. And, you know, we felt like we just threaded the needle on all of those things that the faith audience would respond to it. And uh, did you have, did you have some potential partners possibly lined up or ready to go? Like, were you close to making, were you close to theatrical or maybe before you made it? No, because um, when, when the world shut down, uh, no studio, could would look at projects because they can't make offers on projects because when they make you an offer they say okay we're gonna we're gonna put up 10 million dollars of PA and we're gonna release it in October and when they don't have sort of that that view of when theaters are opening back up um wow there's not even a conversation not even a conversation wow uh you know it's, it's just uh it's a it's a so did you so did you go right to Netflix or did you consider other did you talk to anybody else or was this like like you said you had already started fostering relationship with them? Uh, uh, so so obviously my team um, we we all have relationships all around town. Uh, my strongest relationship was at Netflix. So I went straight to Netflix um, and the team you know we 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 went to to Disney and Amazon etc. So uh, but it was, it was clear that it, it was clear that it was Netflix. So, um, and they're great, and so, fantastic partner. Um, for the, for those that are wondering, okay, how did Darren get a movie on Netflix? Um, I've, the most important answer to that is relationship, which I think, I don't think half the people don't, who are not in the business fully understand the, the importance and value of developing relationships over an extended period of time in this industry. But, um, the 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 kind of practicality of it the the practical side of it did you um uh, it was during the pandemic so i'm assuming no you, there weren't any screenings set up like the, you literally just sent them a digital file to watch was that what happened yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which goes against everything you ever want to do exactly that we used to be we used to teach to never do that right and now that's what <laughs> Uh, because your your worst fear, because you create a movie, and when you see this this movie, it's it's so cinematic. The colors are so amazing, and the and the color palette that we chose is really meant to be experienced. And so your your worst fear of going, you 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 want to be the jerk that says, please don't watch this on your phone. Right. right. <laughs> just just. Please project it onto your big screen because I'm sure you have one. Uh, but you you don't know. You don't know. And, and if you can, turn off your phone and shut off the lights. And <laughs> uh, yeah. 
and because you you get surprised like you know I'll, I'll be surprised i'm surprised that disney didn't come make a big offer they have so many other you know dennis quaid type movies and other movies that and and i look at their slate because my kids you know love some of the marvel stuff and and it didn't uh, you know they didn't jump at it uh, and, and listen I, I, i'm i'm grateful that netflix did you know. Yeah, I mean, it was a mistake on their part. And Netflix saw what I think many people are seeing now, which is, once again, you've made a film that families can watch together. Um, and, you know, I, so I have an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old, and, um, and they really enjoyed it for different reasons than I did. Um, and that's one of the things I want to maybe talk to you about now is um, you mentioned earlier, you know, kind of your your own interest in um, father-son stories. Yeah. Um, what What is this film about to you? Like for you personally, um, what what drew you more than anything, would you say, to this project? And what what are you hoping people, other than just a, just a great time at the movies, what are you hoping to be like a takeaway for audiences for this film? Well, you know, this, since your, your audience here that we're talking to are, you know, predominantly, you know, in the, in the faith space. Um, the reason that I really wanted to make this movie is that I saw God's heart for the orphans. Um, and so when you think about, you know, God saying, Hey, we have, we have to take care of the widows and the orphans that it was a, this catch was a miraculous catch to save these orphans. Yeah. And so, I hope the audiences recognize the miracle of that and, you know, and, and, and they just go, wow, maybe there, maybe there is a God. We don't point it out in the movie. Um, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, we don't end with a cross next to the fish or anything like that, but we, uh, but I, I certainly hope the audiences walk away with that. And, and see God's hand in this miracle story. And I, I have to say, if God were writing the Bible today, I think I think maybe one of the fish stories in the Bible would have been thrown out and this one would have landed. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, because the true story, we didn't even tell because it was so, so far out there that it, if you didn't have a faith, you would never, you'd go. Uh, that's, that's bogus. That's, wow. that's so phony because the true story is, is that um, Omar woke up in the middle of the night and had a vision that he was going to catch the fish at a certain time. And this is the guy who's never caught a fish and he had a vision that he was going to do that. Wow. And at a very, like, a, like, a, like at a very specific moment in time. Very specific moment in time. Wow. Uh, and the true story is, is that the, the fish didn't bite the hook. The hook caught the side of the fish. Wow. And so when, when you sort of look at the true story, you go, yeah, that's, that's all God. That's <laughs> God, God did that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, as a, the father son stories, I like the movie Taken for me, you know, having kids. Movie taken, the first one, the second, 
the second and third and however many more they've done are, uh, but the, the first one was the most amazing sort of father yeah. daughter story. And yeah. when you think about God's heart for his kids that he'll stop at nothing to get us, um, you know, that's, I just get moved by those kind of things. And in, in this case, that, that's, that's what I hope audiences see and feel um, after they've been entertained and maybe gotten emotional and, you know, all of that stuff and hopefully laughed along the way. I've seen a lot of the films that you've um, been a part of and have, have, have created and produced. And I uh, clearly there's some films that have uh, a more overt and then there's some that obviously have um, like this film, a much more kind of subtle um, <clears throat> inferences to God and God moving in people's lives and things like that. Um, is that, is that one of the reasons, is that one of the things that got you into the business? Like what, what got you into filmmaking? Was it to tell um, God stories, big and small? Was it something else? Um, what, what got you uh, into film? Yeah. So I want to answer that in a couple different ways. Yes. The, I do have some that are more overt in their faith and in the way that I sort of, position my films if they're a lower budgeted film and you can't afford a Dennis Quaid and you can, you know then you have to be really very specific and targeted at who your audience is and and that faith audience prefers a little bit more overt and so yep. run the place in in Tim Tebow uh you know I pushed that as subtle as I could push it um and at the same time, hitting Tim Tebow's brand, the guy that wore John 316 on his on his cheekbones. And so right. you, you have to, uh, you know, you have to sort of have a target that you're going after and you have a limited budget and you, you just know you got to do it in a certain way. Yeah. Uh, and so to come back and answer your 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 bigger. Well, let me say and then when you when you're doing a bigger budget film. My my opinion is is if you can afford a, a Renee Zellweger and a Greg Kinnear and a Dennis Quaid, then you have an opportunity to go to a bigger audience uh, based upon sort of who's who's going to be in your trailer. So you you have an opportunity to go to a bigger audience, and you don't have to be quite as overt in your faith. Uh, although all of them, I want to have, I do want to have a subtle faith thread through. It's important to me, um, and. I moved to Hollywood 20 years ago. And one of the things that, uh, one, one of the things that, that I did was just learn how to produce movies. I worked for MGM. I was a PA. I, you know, I sort of just learned uh, as I went. And after about 13 years or so in the business, um, I really felt prompted to write a manifesto. Uh, and so I, so I had this Jerry Maguire moment and I wrote this manifesto and, and that's really been a driver for me as far as uh, what I've done in the past seven or eight years. Wow. And so uh, out of it was birthed my company, Reserve Entertainment. So I, I went from being a guy that got hired to a guy that was, you know, I felt like I feel like I have a vision for what I'm supposed to do. Before the manifesto, were you like burned out and like one foot out the door at that point or were... Uh, no, but I was, uh, I was not fulfilled, you know, sitting in, sitting at, at premieres with movies that 
weren't really mine. I just got hired to do and, you know, and you don't have as much influence as the guy who goes and gets the story and develops it and hires the writer and the director. You know, that's, that's where you can have your, your, your real influence and, and fingerprint on the story. What led to the manifesto? That's a really, that's a, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone doing that. What, what led to, what led to that? Just, just my journey of going, okay, God, um, you know, like Liam Neeson and Taken, I, I've, I have a certain set of skills, but what am I going to do with those? Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, and how do you want to use those skills? And, and, and how, you know, and so, and really it, you know, so reserve entertainment is the branding of it. You can, you can see my, my shirt, the audience can't see it, but you can go look up my logo. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a wine barrel on water. Um, and it, it's inspired by Jesus first miracle of turning water into wine. And the guy running the wedding party says, where did this reserve wine come from? And so for me, it's this thing that Jesus cared about the quality mm-hmm. of the wine. Mm. And, and as a filmmaker, I care about the quality of the films that I'm making. Because mm. I, I grew up, you know, in the industry, working at MGM, working and seeing sort of studio quality things. on, yeah. and, and so I have that sort of knowledge and insight and, um, and, and I've just, and, and God just sort of, open the door for me to be able to tell these amazing stories and, and to hopefully bring that production value and the quality um, that, that a blue miracle has. Wow. Same kind of different as me was a, was a, um, a a very popular, well-known book before it became um, this wonderful film. And so there was quite a journey um, that I think you guys, took um for that film um i know a lot of people who are listening to this are, are fans of that film and they, they're aware of it they're aware of the book um how did you get involved uh, in that project what was the what was the impetus um for that well i i had actually read the book um before the manifesto and and i was really inspired by the book and, w- and when i wrote my manifesto uh, in, in really thinking through the kind of stories that I felt like God wanted me to tell. Same kind of difference as me was actually the top, you know, top idea that I had. It's like, hey, if I could tell this story, you know, this will be, you know, a fingerprint for reserve entertainment, so to speak. Th- these are the kind of stories I want to be known for. and and so. It, that was literally at the very top. When I say the top, the top of of the manifesto, and so, you know, fortunately, God just sort of opened the doors in 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 an amazing way. It was all very hard. It was very difficult film to get made, um, but but God God did it. I don't know how else to say that. Uh, <laughs> against against all odds, you know, I traveled around the country, raised money, and then um, got. Mary Perrin at Paramount to say yes, and Paramount co-financed it. Um, you know, all of it has been a, a flawed journey, but I think at the end of the day, it's a story that is uh, that has the people that have seen it 
have been really moved by the film. Yeah, absolutely. So being that was your first film um, post-Manifesto. Yes. Um, uh, what was different? Uh, I'm cur- what I'm curious about is personally, like in your own kind of personal walk, not, not career-wise, but your own kind of personal faith and your um, journey as a man, um, do you, what kind of changes have you seen in yourself? Yeah. So, you know, I, I will say that I have, you know, I have, um, I've seen, I've seen God's hand be so faithful. When I wrote the manifesto um, and said, okay, I'm going to go do this. Uh, it, it, cre- it created this line in the sand of I'm going to go do this, which means I'm not going to go do that. And so I actually went, after writing that manifesto, 18 months without a paycheck, passing up on two other, you know, highly paid producer jobs. Wow. So, uh, you know, but I think what it's done is it's given me the courage to go, to go do this and to go chase big stories. Um, and I'm in the middle of of a bunch of really big stories that uh, I can't wait to bring to the world, uh, but I won't share those at this moment. But uh, so I, I think God's faithfulness faithfulness has just given me incredible courage to go and and to do this. And so, how, much would you, how much would you say to you know uh, an emerging filmmaker? Courage is needed in this business you know if they're gonna try to go out and they're gonna try and produce films and make films um do you you know i often find that um you know we get a there's a mixed bag of of um you know we get some who are so in unsure of themselves they don't they don't know uh they don't know uh, who they are and so they struggle with trying to find projects to work on because they don't even know much of they don't even know themselves well enough to know maybe i'd be able to identify what a good story is and and then you have people maybe who are just probably probably filled with maybe more confidence than they should be for whatever reason and uh and they tend to maybe maybe at times be difficult to work with and um um because they think it's always their way or their highway and they maybe don't like to collaborate um but for those in the middle who are kind of (laughs) in the middle there um, uh, what are some, what are some attributes that you would say they need kind of in their career going forward? How would you describe, um, what a, uh, what a good emerging filmmaker producer needs, uh, in order to make it, um, uh, in this business? Oh my goodness. Uh, that's, that's a great question. And you're, and you're right. Uh, so many, so many, I'm going to do a little sort of point on one of your comments is, uh, so many first-time filmmakers have this arrogance. I think it's a false arrogance, uh, and so I've, I've, you know, I've sworn off working with first-time uh, directors. Well, I won't do that uh, because they, they, they come. They might come in a spirit of humility, but at the end of the day, they, they you know, this arrogance comes in over them yeah. uh, because this business is. This business is is very sexy and alluring and enticing, and so you have to be grounded in in your faith. Uh, you know, since we're talking to to believers here, 
If not, you can get swayed by, by this business in a huge way. And Christians deal with fear too. I mean, this business is just oh. full of fear, fearful people. Listen, uh, you know, it's, 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 re- it's real. So, um, but also, I also think that you, you like with me, with my manifesto, I needed to know what I, what I'm supposed to do. Um, cause it's not like, okay, I went to law school and I'm going to be, I'm going to be a, a, a tax attorney or, you know, and, and you focus in on a very laser, you know, when you're in the film industry, you gotta, you gotta find out who you are and what, and it's, it's like every other business, yeah. you know, you gotta know what, what you're supposed to do and who you are. And you can't just be sort of wishy-washy in that. Yeah, because I, I meet young filmmakers and they're like, oh, I want to, I, I want to, you know, I want to be the edgy Christian. Well, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> you, you want to drop down F-bombs in, in your movie, which means you want to look like everybody else. Um, That's right. Um, so, so you're saying, you know, you don't want to be edgy. You just want to look like everyone else. Um, so it's, I'm, I'm always fascinated by it. Um, but you know, my, my 18 months of saying, this is what I'm supposed to do. I doubted many times and I, I was married and had, I still married and I had two kids and, um, they get up and eat every morning. So you, you, you look at yourself and go, Oh, wow. Is this really, um, is this really what I'm supposed to do? Uh, but courage is, is massive. Uh, but you also have to treat every day you know you're you're a business whether i whether i had reserve entertainment as a name or not i'm a business it means i got to get up every morning and i got to be in a routine and i got to be working the phones and i got to be reading scripts and i got to be finding stories um because you know, nothing is going to be given to us that's right that's right we have to we have to go work we have to go work and, and and to that, Darren, I know you'll agree with me on this. It, it, it's 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 oftentimes even more frustrating when I'll interact with um, a person of faith who will tell me that you know they feel called by God or they feel like God gave them a story or whatever. And sometimes there's like a sense of entitlement that'll come with that, where it's like I don't know if I need I don't have to work as hard because God's going to do it for me. And I, 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 one, I don't think that's good theology, but, but two, it's also not good business sense. Like what you are saying is something that has been universal, which is you kind of have to have a really good work ethic to make you, you, you've got to hustle, whether you feel called or not, if this is what you want to do, you have to put in the work. Yeah. Yeah, you got to put in the work. Uh, I have my I have set hours at my home office. Uh, pretty much eight forty five to five forty five every day, and you know, and it is it is the real deal. You got to put in the hours, and some days you feel really productive, and other days you feel like, oh my goodness, will I will I ever get another movie made? Um, and those are that's real. Just so you know, that's that's real. Uh, even though I, I might have 20 projects behind me, that is still a real thought of, you know, I wrap a movie and I'm like, 
maybe that's the last movie I'll ever make, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, which, uh, which depending on the film you just wrapped might be a good thought, or <laughs> but mostly it's a bad thought. Um, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's my, you know, my own internal uh, self doubt. And, and I have to come back to that courage thing of, you know, what, what, what am I supposed to do? What stories, what stories do, do, does God want me to tell? I think that's the, that's the key. And you're, you're a husband and a father. And what have you put into your life as a, as a, as a, as a man of faith um, to protect you? Cause we all have those seasons, right? We all have those moments where we doubt um, the fear will, will wrap us up. Um, maybe that was our last job. Maybe that was our last film. Um, I can't seem to break this script. The script, you know, I know the idea is great, but I can't seem to crack this script or, um, I have pitched, I, I, you know, I've pitched 50 times. No one's, no one's buying. No, you know, um, these are all real life things that, that those of us in the business go through, um, for you personally, um, what what have you placed maybe around you or where has God placed you, things in your life that have that help you through those kind of down moments? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, one, one thing's for sure is that, you know, my, <laughs> when, whenever I can get in worship, that's a, that's a big deal for me. Yeah. Uh, that's a place of surrender, a place of letting go of all of that doubt. And sometimes there'll be songs that that move me that I'll play, you know, a hundred times in a month. And I'll just sort of hold on to that that spiritual nugget through a worship song uh, because it's it's tough. There are, there are times where it's it's tough. Yeah, you know, I gotta I gotta tell you, you know, I, I've. Uh, there are times where I'm like, wow, can I just get a job and, and, right. <laughs> and throw in the towel, yeah. you know, and then, and then God opens up an opportunity to make blue miracle and Dennis Quaid says, yes. And, and, and you're reminded, nope, God's not done. Um, and he just wants, he just wants me to trust him along the way, which is, which is the reality of, of it all is that I just have to remain in place of trust. I love that. That's a beautiful place for us to wrap up our conversation. This has been a pleasure. I I've loved having this conversation with you. Um, I, um, I admire you. I admire the films that you make. And um, like I said, at the beginning, we have a lot of mutual friends who just uh, think the world of you and um uh, you definitely are a man of integrity in this business. And that says a lot that goes a long way um, because of the environments and the rooms that you find yourself in. Uh, you have, uh, um, you have definitely represented well, my friend. And so um, congratulations again on this great film. We want people to go out and see it this weekend. As soon as, as soon as you hear this podcast, turn on Netflix, watch this film because the, the analytics, um, you know, it's 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 the equivalent of, a, of buying a ticket, a movie ticket, right? It's all about the analytics with uh, Netflix, right? This, the numbers. It, um, is. it is for sure. And uh, and um, uh, also, you know, the 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 film uh, um, 
tells a true story about the work that's that's happening at is it is it Casa Hogar? Casa Hogar? Yep, Casa Hogar. Casa Casa Hogar, which um, I'll put in the link information. Um, you can actually financially support um, Casa Hogar and uh, the work that they're doing there, which is also kind of a, a beautiful thing that you can participate in and uh, that the film helps shed light on the story of, of um, um, orphans and um, fathers and sons and and daughters. And um, so thanks again um, for just this fantastic time. And I'm just so grateful to you um, for the chance to be able to talk to you today, Darren. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I look forward to uh, coming and speaking to one of your classes in the near future. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, love to have you. If it's okay, um, I'd love to, um, I always try to end our podcast by praying for our guests. Would you allow me to pray for you? Absolutely. All right, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for um, today and um, just the opportunity to speak to Darren. And God, I'm so grateful to him. I'm so grateful for just who he is. And God, I'm so grateful for uh, just how committed he is to tell great stories well, to tell good stories well told. And I love what he says, with a thread of God. Um, there throughout. And, and God, I pray that you would continue to um, give Darren opportunities to tell those stories. I pray, God, with all the future projects that he's developing, that, that, um, that he would have partners and collaborators that would join him in telling these stories and getting them out to the largest possible audience. Um, God, I pray for this film, Blue Miracle. We pray that um, the people that watch the film enjoy it and, um, and are impacted in some in some way uh, by what they see. Um, thank you for Darren and who he is and just pray a blessing upon his family uh, and his work. And uh, we love you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name, your promises we stand. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Act One Podcast. Celebrating over 20 years as the premier training program for Christians in Hollywood. Act One is a Christian community of entertainment industry professionals who train and equip storytellers to create works of truth, goodness, and beauty. To financially support the mission of Act One, or to learn more about our programs, visit us online at actoneprogram.com. Thank you.